Doesn't it just make you want to do that, though? Let's replay that music. All right, one more time. Uh, hey, look, uh, glad to have you guys here. My name's Jeff. If you're a guest here with us, all right, I, uh, I get the privilege of being one of the pastors on staff. I serve as the primary teaching pastor as well. So it's a joy to have you here with us. I want to say a big shout out to everybody at all of our campuses, at all of our campuses at one time, right, here and there. If you love Jesus, let me hear you shout. Ready? One, two, three. All right. That's good. Thank you for doing that, by the way. If you're at home, sit there quietly and stare awkwardly at the person next to you. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm just joking. We're glad to have you guys with us online as well. Hey, we're going to kick off a brand new teaching series. You're here for week one, okay? Week one. That means you're at the very beginning of it. You haven't jumped into the middle of it. Um, you're here at the start, all right? And everybody likes to be at the start of things. And so I want to thank you for being a part of that. Uh, the, te the teaching uh, series title is The Bible Doesn't Say That. Basically what, I'm help what I want to do as, as your pastor, I, I want to help you guys um, understand God's Word. I want you to know what God's Word says, all right? And so we're going to unpack the Bible in a few, for a few weeks and just kind of look at some things that people think are in the Bible, but they're not really in the Bible, all right? And to really do this series justice, I'd probably have to do it over 10 years, all right? Because there's a lot of things that people think are in the Bible that are not really in the Bible. And so I, I can't do this series over 10 years. And so I need your help because I can only do this over this month. So I need your help to conquer all the other fallacies that people think are in the Bible, but they're not. So here, do this with me. Take, take your hand, put it over your heart. Say, I will. I will. Read, God's Word Read God's Word a little bit, a little bit. Every, day. every day. Now if you guys do that, if you guys do that, then I don't have to preach this series for 10 years, all right? Are we on the same page? Okay, good. Good, because if you do, if you read God's Word, you start to discover the truth behind it. But there are some big fallacies that are out there. And today I want to talk to you about the fallacy that people think uh, of this statement, right? They believe this statement is in God's Word, right? That um, God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard anybody say that word before? Helps them who helps themselves. Uh, look, there's a lot of false beliefs out there. I mean, for, forever, man has been believing false things. I mean, remember all the way back, uh, I'm talking like the beginning of time, man thought that the earth was, what, flat? And uh, we found out in the 4th century B.C., right, from Aristotle that, hey, look, the, the earth is not flat, it's actually a sphere, it's round. But man's believed that for a long time. In fact, there are still people that believe that today. Crazy enough. I probably shouldn't say it that way because some of you might be listening to me right now. So I apologize for that. Interestingly enough, all right? Interestingly enough, they just don't think that it's still, they think it's still flat. And so we, we believe these false things and we hang on to them for any length and or a long length of time. Any, any of you guys ever found out that you were believing something that was false? You ever found that to be true in your life? And it's embarrassing at times, right? It can be humbling at times. You're like, no, I, no, this is really true. It's really true, and then all of a sudden you discover, no, it's not true. Like, in my life, personally, I'm going to pull back the veil for you. I, I want to share something with you that I thought for a long time in my life, you know, um, I, I just didn't have the right belief on it. And, that's, and that has everything to do with broccoli. I always thought broccoli was disgusting. And then I had a friend introduce to me broccoli and cheese. <laughs> That'll change your life. I think basically cheese with anything will change your life, right? Broccoli and cheese. And now I have grown to a full-grown man, 
right? And I can eat raw broccoli on my salad and steamed broccoli. And sometimes I choose steamed broccoli. Crazy. But at one point in my life, I thought broccoli like, eh, right? That's gross. It's disgusting. We all have things in our life that we once used to believe that we all of a sudden discovered that, look, that's, that's not true. And in a serious manner, this issue that we're dealing with today out of God's word, it's a serious issue. Because in 2017, the Barna survey group discovered that 52% of Christians who attend church, they believed that the statement, God helps those who help themselves, is in the Bible. That means that today, right here, right now, at New Life Church, the potential is that 50% of us have walked in the door, we're sitting here right now, and we're hearing this maybe for the very first time, and we've thought for maybe all of our lives that in the Bible it says that God helps those who help themselves. And if that's you, I just want you to know today, there's no shame and there's no guilt. And you're not going to feel that from me, right? And I'm not going to call you crazy, and you're not going to hear that at our church. If 52% of us have kind of grown up to believe something that's actually not true, and it's detrimental. The statement God helps those who help themselves, came into the English language in the 1600s by a British government politician who stole it out of ancient um, Greece mythology. And so he grabbed this statement out of there, and one day in a speech he delivers it, and ever since then in 1600s, then that statement now has grown to the place where half of Christianity is duped in believing that this is actually something that you find in God's word. And the problem with this statement is that it changes our spirituality and it changes our behavior. In fact, it warps who God really is. See, the problem with this statement that God helps those who help themselves means that now I must attempt to do everything I can to solve the problem before ever coming to God. And that's a bad place to be when you're the one that's in charge of making sure that the problems of this world get solved before you ever go to God. That's a big problem, okay? That's keeping us from the actual source that could bring the solution to what we're dealing with. Here's another problem with it. It sets up God as being holy, which that is true. But the second part of the statement is not true, that he would never accept me in my condition. Because God only helps those who help themselves. So if I don't get my life right, then how can I ever come to God and expect him now to help me? And so that's a bad place to be as well because now it's just really all about what you can do and what you can work out before you're ever going to think God's ever getting close to being pleased with you. So overall, the problem ends up developing into this idea that you have to prove yourself to God before he's ever going to help you. And this idea of trying to prove yourself to God before he helps you has been a fallacy since day one on planet earth. The Israelites in the Old Testament, they had a law they were trying to fulfill and the law was impossible for them to completely fulfill and they were grinding their fingers to the bone trying to do this law to try to make them holy and perfect in God's sight and it was never going to happen. Therefore, God sends his son Jesus to give his life on the cross and so that the animals that, you know, their blood was being shed in the Old Testament to try to cleanse the sins, the sins of the people was not good enough so then the blood of Jesus is shed once and for all. For all the sins of humanity, once and for all, now we are liberated and set free. It wasn't able to happen in the Old Testament, and it wasn't happening even when Jesus walked this earth. 
the Pharisees, the teachers of the religious law, they, they took all these Old Testament laws and added many more to it. There were 600 and, you know, I don't remember what the number is, 649 or something like this, like the amount of laws that people had to try to follow to please God and to make God happy, and it was impossible. And they were putting these laws on the people, and the, it was crushing them. It was setting them up for failure. It was heaping guilt and shame on them, and it left people feeling defeated. And, and there's still Christians walking around today who believe God helps those who help themselves, and there's heaping guilt and shame and condemnation feeling defeated in your own Christianity. Like, if I can just get beyond this sin, if I can just get beyond this attitude, if I can just get beyond this struggle, then God will be pleased with me, and I'll be happy with myself, and I can move on. But you never do get beyond it because we're trying to do it in our own strength. So the major issue that we're faced with, with this whole fallacy that God helps those who help themselves, it does one crazy thing. It makes you become the primary source for your help. And that means that God has to become second. Whenever you put yourself in the position of being the primary source for help, just know this, like you're you're leading your life into a cul-de-sac, a dead end. It's not thriving. It's not going someplace. It's, It's getting ready to collapse all around you. Because God never set you up to be your primary source of help. He set himself up to be the primary source of help. And that's why Jesus, when he was cornered by all these religious leaders, and they said, out of these 600 and some you know, laws, Jesus, what's most important? It was a trap. And Jesus said, look, I'm I going to tell you right now, the first one is to love God with everything you have. And the second is to love others the same way. He just pinned it right there. He goes, look, it's all about loving God. It's all about surrendering your life. It's all about worshiping him. And then out of that worship, now you can start loving others. It wasn't wasn't about, you know, we'll go kill more innocent lambs. You know, it wasn't about, you know, giving more financially. It wasn't about those things. It was about, can can you follow God? Can you lay your life down? And can he be the leader and the Lord of your life? So guys, look, you may never have said that, oh yeah, I know that, that that statement's in the Bible. I know that in the Bible it says that God helps those who help themselves. You may never have said that, but you might be living that lifestyle. And unfortunately, if 52% of the people say, yes, it's in there, my guess is that there's probably another quarter of the people, there's probably another large percentage of the people, maybe 30% more, that are actually they're living their life as if the statement is true, though. This performance-driven Christianity. Because the other major issue that falls flat on its face, then, is if we believe that God helps those who help themselves, then here's what it, it forces you to start believing this, that there's a tipping point when you have climbed the mountain, when you've done enough, that now you can demand that God has to help you. Like, I filled the bucket, God. I've done good. Right? I, I have, I've done all these things for you. Now you owe me. And whenever we put ourselves in the position of we control God and we've got the key when we let God out of the box, that's a dangerous place to be in as well. But this mentality, this is what it brings us to. And I'm just going to tell you right now, you're not going to find God helps those who help themselves and or any of these you know, philosophies and ideas. You're not going to find these in the Bible. God's not instructing us to live our lives this way. In fact, it's just the opposite. And let me give you an example. 
One of the examples is when Jesus empowers and calls the disciples to do something in Matthew chapter 28. Go into the world and make disciples. And Jesus was saying this to them because he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. Right? He's, gonna, he's leaving to prepare a place for us that one day he would come back for his church. And church, I'm telling you right now, he's coming back for his church. All right? And he said to his disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. In another place, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right before he ascends, he turns to them and he says, look, here's what I need you to do. You, you need to be my witnesses everywhere. So the disciples are kind of underneath this like weight of this assignment, this you know, challenge, this command from Jesus. Go everywhere to the ends of the earth and make sure that people hear the good news of the gospel. But also in Luke chapter 24, Jesus said to them, but here's what I want you to do. Before you do that, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to fill you with power. Those three components put together is now the assignment. And I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't tell them. Jesus doesn't tell them to go and evangelize the world. And if you're doing a really good job, then I'll fill you with the power of my Holy Spirit. He doesn't tell them that. He doesn't tell them, hey, get out there, get into the game, and if you're doing really good, then I'll come along and I'll give you a boost. I'll come along and I'll do something supernatural in your life. But I just need to know, did you hear what I said to do? Are you willing to do it? Right? Are you going to obey me? Because if you're going to obey me, then I'm going to bless you. That's not the way that Jesus set it up at all. In fact, Jesus set it up and he said this, you can't do it on your own. Go wait in the upper room for the Holy Spirit. And when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then go. That's what he said to them. And for you and me, we're trying to go without the power. We're trying to go, right, without the anointing. I'm going to prove to you, Jesus, that I'm good. I'm going to prove to you that I can be better than the person down the road from me. I, I can prove to you that I'll be better this week than I was last week. And he's going, you just keep on trying and you're going to keep failing. Because you weren't designed to do that. You were designed to, to live your life and the assignment of your Christian walk under the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the same thing for us that it was for the disciples. Example number two. The reason why I know that the statement, God helps those who help themselves, and that whole concept is not in the Bible, is also driven home by the Apostle Paul when he teaches on the salvation by grace and grace alone. Many of you have heard this. But Ephesians chapter 2, Paul clearly tells us that salvation comes by grace, not by works, so that any man might boast. It's the free gift of God. Not the things that you have done that have earned it. There's fact, there's nothing you can do today to earn salvation, meaning to earn the favor of God, to earn the forgiveness of God. There's nothing that you can do on your own. It all starts and it ends with the grace of Jesus Christ. And if there was something we could do on our own, then Jesus never had to go to the cross and he never had to die. But Jesus had to go to the cross and give up his life because we can't do it on our own and we need to call out to God for help because it's only, it's only the sacrifice of Jesus that brings the grace that forgives us of our sins. And when we try to work out our salvation as if we think God's impressed by that, God's not impressed by that. God's not impressed with your busy work. God's not impressed with your, you know, um, driven behavior that you know, we're just good Nebraskans and we're hard workers and watch how I work out this Christianity. He's not impressed by that, but he is impressed by how you surrender 
to him. How you surrender before him. Paul drove, drove it home in Galatians chapter 2 when he says that, look, we know that a person is made right with God by what? Faith in Jesus Christ, not by doing the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. What are the next words? Not because we've obeyed the law. And he finishes it, just in case you didn't get it, for no one will ever be made right with God by just obeying the law. No one, not you, not me, you can't be right enough with God by just knowing what God's word says and just by buckling down and working your fingers to the bone and just being good enough. You'll never get there because God doesn't help those who help themselves. That's the lie. But the truth behind it is this, that God does help those who realize that they can't help themselves. It's when we realize, I can't help myself, that now all of a sudden the power of the Holy Spirit can start that supernatural work inside of you. You know what our prayer ought to be today? A simple prayer. God, I can't help myself. It's not like I can't help myself from doing whatever. I'm not asking you to finish the statement. I'm just asking you to turn to the Lord and simply say, God, I, I can't, there's nothing I can do on my own. If it isn't for the power of your Holy Spirit, if it isn't for your grace at work, there's nothing I can do. Right? Because Christianity and this worship of Jesus, it's not like some kind of a self-help religion, right, where you're going to figure out how to like, get better at, at just being being the worshiper that you're supposed to be and that through that you're going to somehow please God. It's not a self-help religion. All the other religions of the world are set up that way because all the other religions of the world were established by man, not by God. And religions of the world established by man are all based on works. It's all about what you do to earn the favor of the God, right? But you never know if you've earned the favor of the God until that very last moment when you breathe the last breath on this this life and you wake up in the new one and you hope that you did so that you wake up in utopia you you wake up in heaven you, you wake up reincarnated into something better you hope that it happened that way but you don't really know because it was all created by man and i got bad news for everyone who's worshiping a religion other than christianity you'll never be good enough you can't be it's impossible and that's what sets Christianity radically apart from all the other religions of the world. It is a God-empowering religion. Watch. God, I need your help. I surrender to you. Come, live within me. Have your way through me. Boom, God comes through the power of his Holy Spirit and empowers you now to live out the Christ-centered life. It's a God-empowered religion, not a man-empowered religion. But this is the way that God set it up. God wanted it this way. God's the one who said, from the very beginning, from day one, I want you to walk in the power of my Holy Spirit. I know you're not pure. I know that you're not perfect. I know that there's still a sin nature in you. I know that there's still sin habits alive in you. I know that this process of righteousness, becoming right in God's eyes, it's a, it's a process. It's going to be day after day, week after week. It's going to be a lifetime. But God goes, look, from day one, I want to be near you. From day one, I want my Holy Spirit to empower you because there is no other way for you to get there. 
That means that God's still looking for the surrender. And when you surrender to God, when you bow your knee before him, and when you call out to him and you go, I need help, that's when you find that there's an abundance of strength that comes from the Holy Spirit, an abundance of power, an abundance of grace, an abundance of mercy, an abundance of wisdom that you need right now, right where you are, to overcome the situation that you're, that you're facing. It's not, it's not when you do good that, that now you're going to overcome it. It's when we humble ourselves and we cry out to God that that's when, that's when God moves in our lives. So what do we need to do? We need to follow what God says in Hebrews chapter 4. He says, look, since we have a great high priest, right, who has entered heaven, which, by the way, he is Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it the most. I love that. When I look at this passage, I don't know what stands out to you about it. But what stands out to me is this, that when you feel the weight of the world coming down on your shoulders, that's when we should be boldly moving in to the throne of Jesus. We've all felt the weight of the world at different moments of our life. Some of you feel it now. If you don't feel it now, you might feel it this week. If, you don't, if not this week, maybe this month or sometime this year. You know those moments when it feels like the weight of the world's on your shoulders and you, you go into survival mode? And when we go into survival mode, we don't tend to run to God. We tend to run to what we can do. And God's going, look, when you feel the weight of the world coming down on your shoulders, your first move should become boldly to Jesus. Because it's at that moment that he can give you that power, strength, wisdom, grace, mercy, favor, resources. He can give those things to you. And what I love about this passage, it says this, he'll help you when you need it most. When you need it most. I love that about God. I love that. He's like, look, when you get into the corner, when you get pinched, when you're in this spot where you don't know where else to go, when you need it most, I'm here for you. If you'll call out to me, Call out to me. Call out to God before you ever get there. But when you are at your worst, I'm not going to abandon you. But you know us as humans, we are horrible at knowing when we are at our worst. We don't do good at that. We don't like to admit when we're at our worst. Here's our classic, famous last words. I've got this. I got it. I got it. And then boom, right off the cliff. I got this, boom, marriage falls apart. I got this, finances fall apart. I got this, and you end up into some like, you know, sin binge. I've got this, and the next thing you're doing is making a phone call. Hey, uh, I'm in jail, uh, can you rescue me? Well, the last words I heard you say was, I got this. Like we have to know, the, we have to know when, when we can handle it and when we can't handle it. We gotta know when, when that's possible. Like, like, let me give me an example. Like, if you're a farmer here, let me tell you one thing I can't handle right now. I can't handle driving your combine. It's gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna jack up your field. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, you're gonna leave for an hour, you're gonna come back, and there's gonna, rows aren't gonna be cut straight. You know, things are, things are gonna be cut off too high, and I'm leaving like valuable corn there. Corn's piled up in, you know, like big piles out there somewhere in the field because I didn't hit the truck right. 
I mean, I'm going to mess up your harvest. You don't want me to do that. Now, with a little bit of training, a little bit of coaching, and a lot of pay, I could probably help you. Okay? I could probably help you. But I can't do it right now. I, that's my limit. Like, I, I can't do it. Can I stand out there and videotape you doing it? I'm your man. Can I, can I bring you espresso while you're doing it? Pfft, you got the right guy. Right? But you got to know your limits. You got to know what you can do, what you can't do. Like for some of you, let me tell you one of your limits. You shouldn't be babysitting a three-year-old. Someone's going to die. All right? Like you shouldn't do that. There's a limit. Like you know what your limit is, what you could do, and what you shouldn't do. And for some of you, like you get sued, right? And I pray to God that doesn't happen, but you get sued, and you're going to be the person that goes like, oh, I'm just going to go into the court, and I'm going to represent myself. I got this. And it's all going to fall apart on you, right? You need a lawyer. So the I got this is one of those moments that is going to wreck your life, right? So if you don't know when to wave the white flag, you're going to get hurt. If you don't know when to ask for help, you are always going to be the one that gets hurt. So what do we have to do? we got to lay down our pride, ask God for help. Which, by the way, everyone that's hearing my voice today, including the person speaking it, all of us need to do that. And God's, God is wanting, willing, and able to provide the help that we need if we'll call out to him. Why? Because here's the good news. Because of what Hebrews chapter 4 said. It said these things that Jesus understands the help that you need. He knows it better than you know it. Why? Because he faced the same temptations of this world that you're facing. He's faced the same troubles and trials and tribulations that this world can throw at you. Why? Because he faced them as well. Hebrews chapter 4. Right? He understands your weaknesses. He knows the help you need more than you know it. And it's the love of Jesus that allowed him to become the high priest for you. Hebrews chapter 4. He became the high priest by his sacrifice on the cross. He ascended to the high priest. He's the, he's the interceder for you. He's the empowerer for you. He's the one who sent the Holy Spirit for you. So that you could be rescued in your greatest moment of need. If we will only call out for the help. I find this interesting as well though. When we call out for the help, many times the solution is going to come from our left and our right. It's going to come from the person potentially sitting next to us right now. Or it's going to come from someone that's maybe sitting in the auditorium that you're in right now. Or it's going to come from New Life Church. It's going to come from your life group. Many times when we call out to the Lord for help, he ends up sending someone because he designed the church that way. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, it says this, that share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ, that we are to share one another burden. And you know, in a perfect world, that's what the church would be. I think the church would take over the world if we truly did carry one another's burdens. If we were vulnerable enough and transparent enough to do it, I think that the church would take over the world. I think Christianity would reign and rule in every corner of the world and in every country and in every government. The problem is we're too prideful to ask for help, so we're not displaying the power that God created his local church for. And because we don't ask for help, we don't get help. And it's hard then for us to carry one another's burdens when you see the need in a brother and sister, but you don't know how to step in because they're not really ready to receive that help. But I'm just telling you, 
The church would be a very attractive place in this world if we really showed them what it was like to carry one another's burdens. But that means we have to start going, look, I have to start asking for help. i got to start asking for help. But there's a warning in this passage. It came in the very next verse when it said this. If you think that you're too important to help someone, then you're only what? Fooling yourself. You're not that important. Isn't that an encouraging word? In fact, why don't we just encourage one another with that word? Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and just look them in the eye and just tell them, you're not that important. Just let them know. Just right now. Just tell them, you're not that important. Just let them know it. With a smile on your face. You guys want to drive home in the same car, right? You're not that important. You can blame it on me or you can blame it on God's word. Right? You're not, but it's this, like, if you think that you're important, and you might go, well, look, we're just good Nebraska people. We don't think that we're more important than other people. Okay, but before you, before you answer that, let's make sure we understand what it really means to think that you're more important. If you think that you're too busy to help others, then you probably think you're more important. If your friendship circle is full and comfortable, and you don't have room for anyone else in need, then you think that you're probably too important. If you view Christianity, if you view that Christianity, if, if you, excuse me, if your view of Christianity keeps your friendship group to Christians only, then you probably think you're too important. And if all of your financial blessing is used to fund your needs and your pleasure, then you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. What I love about this idea is that, look, there is a lie, okay? And the lie is that God helps those who help, them, help themselves. Let's debunk that today, okay? That's going to be part of our solution. But let's also be part of the solution that when others call out for help, God, here am I, send me. Like when others call out for help, I want to be a part of that solution, we could, be, we could be a part of the solution on both sides of this because God's purpose for your life is to help others. God's purpose for your life is to give a boost to others. God's not interested in helping those who think that they're self-reliant and they're just going to live on an island by themselves and they're gonna, just going to do it the old-fashioned way. Hard work and hard labor. God's like, look, if that's your approach to life, you're going to be hard work, hard labor all your life. I'm looking, God's not interested in blessing those who are the self-reliant in that sense. God wants to give a boost or he wants to help those who realize that they need him and they're willing to humble themselves before him and ask for help. Then God can show up and give a supernatural boost. Something beyond what any of us can do for one another. Something that only he can do. But then he also wants to come along at times and give you a practical boost. And that practical boost, that practical help might come from somebody that's sitting in the row with you. It might come from somebody inside of this church. God works in these amazing ways, supernaturally and practically, to give a boost. So the kingdom principle today that we want to live by and we want to walk out of here with is this, that when you humble yourself and you seek God's help, you get a boost. And everybody listening to my voice today needs a boost. Some of you need a boost in the sense of salvation. You're trying to work out God's favor and you're not going to get there. You're trying to work out salvation. You're trying to be good enough to make your way to heaven and you're not going to get there. You need the boost of salvation that comes by grace alone. Put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Call out to him for his help. Tell him, I'm not good enough. I need your help. And he, through the power of the Holy Spirit and his grace, 
through Jesus Christ will give you a salvation boost. And for others of us, we need a boost by laying down, right, our stubbornness and our striving. Our stubbornness. Like, I got this. We got to lay those things down. We need to ask for help. Some of you in this place right now, you feel the conviction. And you're going, man, it's not just I need to ask God for help. I need to ask somebody else for help as well. And if you're sensing that, act on it. Lay down your stubbornness. Stop your striving. And when you do that, then you'll get a boost by receiving God's empowerment. Church, all of us need, need a boost. And we're only going to get it when we confess that we need help. When we realize we need help, then God can work and do something supernatural or something just amazingly practical in our life. Why don't you stand? Let's make our first Let's make our first act of worship before God a prayer that just confesses, God, I need your help. Let's just make that our heart before God. And let's just see what God will do in this place today. So Lord, we come before you in Jesus' name. We're gathered here, God, and we're recognizing right now that in and of ourselves, we're not good enough. And many of us, we've known that. But when we look at our lives, it's like our lives are, are warped. There is, there is a difference between the way our lives are being led and what we really believe. And our lives are being led as if we truly believe that God helps those who help themselves. And Lord, we, we don't even know how to get out of the trap. So we just simply come to you. We humble ourselves before you. And like little children to a father, we just say, we need help. Help me. Help me. I don't, I don't know how to get out of this situation. Help me. I, I don't know how to conquer this sin. Help me. I don't know how to increase my faith. Help me. I don't even really truly know how to completely surrender to you. Help me. And Lord, it's when we realize that we need that help. That you come racing in in our worst to help us through the power of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, show up in this place in power today. Show up in this place and manifest your presence in our midst. And in the hearts of each person who's willing to make that, that crazy prayer, God, I need help. Would you show up today and meet them right where they are? In Jesus' name, amen.